This is The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Good morning, it's John Moore. This is The Breakfast Wrap for this Thursday, the 17th of November. Looks like we're going to have a cloudy day. You may see some flurries, a little on the breezy side, and we're trucking for a high of plus 2 degrees. Here are the five things you need to know. Number one, parents bracing for a Monday school strike. Number two, the province plans to bigfoot municipalities and regional governments. Number three, Toronto issuing a warning over drug overdoses. Number four, Mayor John Tory, green lights, early morning drinking. And number five, Mariah Carey, no longer the Queen of Christmas. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Happy Thursday to you. Although I don't know if there's much happiness in the city. It's, uh, there's still snow outside, and I realize it's winter. That's to be expected. But a lot of us were crossing our fingers that whatever we got by this time yesterday morning was going to melt off, but the temperature never quite crested high enough, and so a lot of it is still out there. So yeah, we ended up having to shovel yesterday. Uh, Listen, it's 5.08, it's minus 2 at this hour, and a particular reason for unhappiness would be that the province and parents in particular are staring down the barrel of another stop in education come next Monday. Yesterday morning, just as Jerry Iger was going on the air, Stephen Lecce let loose that uh, the education workers represented by CUPE had already filed their strike notice. They got to give five days notice, and they did, so they could be out as of Monday. Here's Stephen Lecce. Well, first off, I got to say it is entirely unacceptable that parents are back in this situation. I think it is problematic when a union thinks they can casually invoke a strike notice every couple weeks. It happens every few years in the province of Ontario. I just think our kids deserve better. Uh, and we're supposed to be the adults in the room. And yet they may be out of school again on Monday on the basis of salary. That was Stephen Lecce on the rush yesterday afternoon, and just because of how hot a file this is and how it changes hour to hour, we're going to speak with Stephen Lecce live again this morning at 7.20. He'll be uh, joining us. And we're also, uh, we've lined up Mark Hancock, who is the national president of CUPE, the union that represents the 55,000 uh, education workers. So um, I've often said I don't want to litigate the full dispute live on the air here, but at the same time, I think it's important we talk to the stakeholders so parents have some kind of a fix on why they find themselves possibly poleaxed next Monday. I was saying yesterday morning, and I never made any predictions about whether or not I thought that the education workers would strike again. I merely offered that I felt that their position was somewhat weakened by everything that transpired over the last two weeks. Now, remember, they filed notice five days. They went on strike. That was a Friday. They were out on Monday. But then Doug Ford, possibly looking at some poll numbers, said, okay, listen, I've heard you. How about you guys all go back to work? We'll come back to the table and we'll sweeten the offer. And so they did. And once that had happened, I felt that, you know, people were possibly so exhausted by the whole procedure that they just didn't want to go through the same ritual all over again. So, 
you know, that would be my assessment this morning. And we'll certainly take some calls today. And I realize whenever we do so, we end up inundated with uh, people in the education sector who want to make their plea as to why uh, whatever demands the union is making are are justified. But I'm, I'm more interested, to be honest, in hearing from parents. And yes, I get it uh, as well, <laughs> um, that a lot of teachers are also parents. But let's face it, your assessment of this whole situation is pretty heavily informed by the fact that you work in the education sector. Um, I don't have a strong opinion on whether or not the government has offered enough. But it also seems to me that when the representatives of the union speak now, they, they're kind of changing the terms of what it is they absolutely need in order to reach a deal. Uh, but here's Laura Walton. CUPE president, she was also on the rush yesterday afternoon. We do not believe that the government has met what they need to do for services. And we are going to fight for those services that parents have said time and time again, we need them. It's so important that we're there, that schools can't open without us. And yet we're not doing anything to ensure those services are secure. And we're not doing anything to ensure that they're improved. And I think now more than ever, parents want the services in schools they don't want them privatized, and they want to know that the people who are in their schools are going to be there moving forward. So here would be my take based on the last 24 hours of, of developments and also the last 24 hours of my going through a whole bunch of material about this. It just seems to me, and again, you can always correct me if I'm 100% wrong. You can always send us a text at 7-10-10. But it seems to me that the union has moved from representing the working interests of its members to another station of the cross, which would be, this is our vision of the education system. And, you know, a union's entitled to set its own terms, but it doesn't mean necessarily that everything is going to be met. And I think that there is a very significant difference between saying, we represent 55,000 workers these are the things that they need in order to continue to work. These are the things that we think represent decent compensation. These are the terms of employment that we think are a reasonable ask. There's that. And then there's getting into the fact that because we're in the education system and sector, here is our vision of a better education system, which would have you know, more people at the kindergarten level, more educational assistants working, um, you know, a, a better relationship or, or ratio between the educational assistants and the number of kids that they're working with, all of that stuff. So maybe that's kind of a, a, a subtle or pointy-headed way of uh, observing things. But, you know, I, I, I think you get to a point where okay, you know what, enough is enough. This is your vision of the education system. This is what the government's vision is. This is what the government's prepared to pay. This is what taxpayers are prepared to fund. And let's keep moving. And I can only imagine that I'm going to get all kinds of pushback now uh, after having said that, because I'm not full-throated enough, apparently, in my support of the education sector and education workers and in particular teachers. Um, we'll talk more about this in just a moment on CP24, our segment called What Toronto's Talking About, uh, but a few other stories in the news today. One of them being, I don't think that we can entirely take credit for this, 
But I have to think Mayor John Tory was listening yesterday morning when we talked about this business of whether or not people are going to be able to have a drink while they watch a soccer game in the morning hours. And I heard from some people yesterday saying, man, if you need a drink in the morning, then there's something wrong with you. But where do we come up with this whole scenario that, you know, if you if you don't have a single drink until noon, that you're somehow you know, a correct citizen. But if you drink anywhere before that, there's something, you know, Carrie Nation's going to come in with an axe and tear apart your home. I just, I don't see that many issues. I mean, I don't want to have a drink in the morning, but I don't see it as being some sort of an existential crisis. If somebody who goes to shenanigans next week and watches a FIFA game and decides to down half a pint at eight o'clock, that that's really that great a threat to our public safety. And time now to say good morning to John Moore, News Talk Radio 1010, see what's on his mind. Hey, morning, John. Good morning, George, nice to be here. Good to have you. Uh, looks like Monday will be like school on Sunday. Yeah, a lot of people are saying it's deja vu all over again. We had a workers' strike, a QP workers' strike in the education sector previously on a Friday and a Monday. Then the premier made a new offer and said, okay, listen, you know, if I pull this law off the table, let's get back to the uh, bargaining table and uh, let's get back to school. And we did. And now, as you guys have been reporting and we've been reporting, the uh, QP represented workers, 55,000 of them have filed notice they're going to walk out on Monday. And if they do, then the boards are probably going to suspend all in-school learning uh, for the time being. So it's a fraught situation, and I think public opinion may be a little different this time. I guess it's going to take some time to take that pulse. All right, uh, let's talk uh, more government news. Uh, so the provincial government passed some legislation. Does a strong mayor necessarily mean a weaker council? It could. I, I think only time is going to tell in this situation, but actually they've expanded it beyond the whole strong mayor idea. The strong mayor idea, which is only uh, applying right now in Toronto and Ottawa, but will probably extend very quickly to places like Burlington and uh, Mississauga and Brampton. Uh, but the whole idea is that a mayor, if he is acting in the, or she is acting in the interests of something on the provincial agenda, can Bigfoot city council. But now this is being extended, George, to regional regional uh, councils. It's called the Better Municipal Governance Act. And uh, the province is effectively going to have the power, if it wants to, to appoint the chairs of Niagara, Peel, and York region. And so, you know, this is a pretty wide-ranging expansion of provincial powers. And I wonder, especially in the wake, uh, you know, it's only been about three weeks since we elected a whole bunch right. of municipal and regional councillors, how people are going to feel about that. Yeah, there's already been some pushback within council and uh, the opposition parties. Mm -hmm. uh, this story now, uh, an overdose uh, uh, death spike here in Toronto. This is really, really uh, shocking and upsetting. At least 15 people who consumed unregulated substances in the last week have died in the city of Toronto. So the warning is going out. In the short term, people who use drugs are being told, don't consume drugs alone. Uh, use a supervised consumption service if you absolutely can. Uh, vet your supply. But, I mean, this is astounding when you think of, you know, the numbers that, that 15 people have died within only about a week or 10 days. That is uh, beyond uh, disturbing. And the World Cup equals day drinking. 
You and I were talking about this on the show yesterday. I have to think maybe John Tory, the mayor, yeah. was listening. Uh, the issue was whether or not people who are going to watch games from Qatar in the early hours, some of them are going to start at about 5 a.m. our time, others around 8 a.m. But the question was, can people go to a bar, watch the game, and consume a drink? They have been able to do so in the past. John Tory has said that he's going to expedite matters so that starting at 8 a.m., people are going to be able to have a tipple. And finally, an American singer's application to trademark <laughs> Queen of Christmas and that handle denied. Mariah Carey cannot necessarily, she can call herself the Queen of Christmas if she wants, George, <laughs> but she cannot trademark that. The whole idea was she could have come out with a whole range of products labeled Queen of Christmas. You know, fragrances, lotions, nail polish, jewelry, cups, mugs, Christmas decorations, of course. Uh, but the courts have ruled that's a bit of an overreach. Apparently, though, she can call herself the Princess of Christmas. Oh, so. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> you Still have royalty. That. There you go. Hey, John, thanks very much. Yes. Great chat. Uh, have a good show and a great day. Five twenty-four is the time. That's our friend George Ligajanis over at CP24, and this is a little bit of Mariah Carey. And you're never going to catch me complaining about this tune. I don't know why people complain about it. It, it strikes me a bit like I, we were observing earlier this week when it was revealed that uh, Nickelback was going to be inducted into the Music Hall of Fame at the next Juno Awards. And I think some people hate Nickelback just because they don't have time to really form any firm opinions on pop culture. So they know that it's very popular to hate Nickelback. And then other people know it's very popular to hate Mariah Carey and All I Want for Christmas. But frankly, in the great pantheon of Christmas tunes, I, I don't know that there's much to complain about. It's a good old-fashioned Motown-style song. And frankly, in the last, what, 20, 25 years, how many new Christmas songs have we actually had? So, you know, let's, let's kick back. Also, it's pretty clear that within the precinct of Toronto, Mariah Carey is still pretty popular. Don't remember how many years ago it was now, but they brought her to town, and it was a great big deal that she sang for the opening of the Bay's Christmas Windows. And she's only doing two Christmas concerts. One of them's at Madison Square Gardens, and the other one is right here in Toronto. And I think, actually, Nick Marano, I don't know if you are aware or not or can confirm, I think she actually booked two nights in Toronto. So clearly there's a Mariah Carey fan base right here. However, she will not be the Queen of Christmas. There were numerous objections, including somebody who had been pronounced the Queen of Christmas by David Letterman previously who is now 80 years old and says she would like to continue to sit on the throne. Let's press the reset button and come back, and there are way more important things to talk about than Mariah Carey, including parents once again saying, great, okay, now what are we doing on Monday? You're listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. I like that municipal government has the power to be somewhat nimble. And so yesterday morning we were highlighting this story about the fact that people wanted permission to drink while they watched soccer games in the morning hours in public establishments. And the problem was that city council didn't grant that permission before it was suspended for the election, and it wasn't going to be convened for uh, a while. So there was this you know, gray zone where bars did not have that power. And I think it's also worth emphasizing. We've framed this story through the lens of people would like to drink. How about framing it through a business-friendly lens that bar owners would like 
the ability to do commerce in the morning hours when people are already getting up, coming in, sitting down, watching their television, um, you know, and instead of just serving everybody some coffee and pop, maybe they could serve some booze and uh, make some money. And there is an aspect to this city that has been all about joy killing and uh, restrictions and uh, pearl clutching for since since we were founded. But I I like that yesterday the mayor said, okay, you know what, we're going to make this happen. And so uh, I'm not sure exactly what the timeline is necessarily, but um, before the end of the World Cup of Soccer, people are going to have the permission to serve in bars while people are watching soccer games at like, well, I mean, the soccer game could start at five. You're not going to be able to get a drink until eight, but they're going to bend the rules. It's 549. Uh, not long ago, we were talking about the parole hearing for a guy who murdered two women. And one of our own team members has more than a passing familiarity with this case. And today there's an update to it. News Talk 1010 crime specialist, former Toronto homicide detective Mark Mendelson is with us. Mark, it's nice to have you again. Good morning, John. So let's set the table all over again for those who may not have been with us for our first conversation. Uh, who is Rohan Ranger and what did he do? Rohan Ranger uh, was about 19 years of age, along with his other cousin, uh, Adrian Kincaid. And in August of 1995, uh, a young, beautiful woman by the name of Marsha Audie, uh, who has a sister named Tammy, was going to leave for the Univers University of Arkansas for a full ticket. Uh, track and field scholarship. Ranger was the former boyfriend of, of Marsha. Uh, he didn't take kindly to her leaving. And in, sh in short, uh, he and his brother came to the house uh, one morning when, when the mother, Avis, had gone to work. Uh, an altercation took place and both these young women were stabbed to death in, you know, I, I, it's fair to say an overkill and brutal fashion. Um, and from that point on, from that August of 1995, uh, till about February, uh, myself and Ron Whitefield investigated the murders and eventually brought uh, Ranger back from Kingston, Jamaica. Fast forward 10 years, John, if you can imagine, for, for the legal system to work its way through this. Avis Audie, the mother, had to sit through a preliminary hearing that was about five months old. Uh, not one, not two, but three separate trials because the Court of Appeals sent back Ranger's uh, you know, first uh, guilty guilty finding. So 10 years has gone on. He's now been in jail for uh, you know, almost 27 years. Um, and as you, as you mentioned yesterday, uh, he was finally granted uh, parole, although he has to be in a halfway house in Toronto for uh, six months. And that's where we sit. And by my understanding, Mark, he's never actually acknowledged that he actually committed those murders. He insists he wasn't even on the scene at the time. So there was no apology yesterday, which is something the parole board often requires. Exactly. And it took him 17 years to even own up to the uh, to the position that he sent his brother Kincaid or his cousin Kincaid to the house to scare Marsha. That took 17 years to get out of his mouth. And yesterday, and I was talking to the mom, Avis Audie, yesterday afternoon, at the end of her, you know, apparently gut-wrenching, uh, you know, uh, presentation to the parole board, she asked for an apology. And even even now, even, even almost 27 years later, all they could say is, you know, the obligatory, yes, I think about this all the time, it's on, it weighs on my conscience, uh, but I wasn't there. I, you know, I, I sent my cousin over there just to scare her. 
and you know, and, and I'll paraphrase what he said to the parole board. He goes, I know the courts think I was there at the time of the killing, but I wasn't. So all of this time later, he still will not, not acknowledge the fact that he was there, um, only only that he egged on his cousin to scare her, you know, which which is just a slap in the face. But you, I've got, you know, I, I've said before on on, on your show, John Avisati is uh, without question the strongest woman that I have ever met in my life. And in talking to her yesterday, she she was not disappointed, she was not surprised. Um, but you know, and she says to me, as she's always always said to me since '95, you guys, meaning myself and Ron Whitefield and the Crown. You guys did everything that you could, and you walk out with your head held high. And I think that is a, you know, sort of an acknowledgement that we were all in this together. But I mean, he's going to get out. It's been a long time, and uh, you know, life will have to go on for Avis as well. I really like that uh, Michelle Mandel in her account of all of this in today's Sun Mark concludes with the line in reference to Rowan Ranger, still clueless after all this time. Thanks a lot for this. You have a good morning, John. Thanks. Mark Mendelson, former homicide detective, now all ours. He's our uh, crime expert on News Talk 1010. That's The Breakfast Wrap. My name is John Moore. Thanks for listening. I hope we'll talk again soon. You've been listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Don't forget to subscribe and get the latest episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And listen weekday mornings from 5 to 9 on News Talk 1010.